0: Welcome to this very special presentation of the Vinnie Eastwood Show, the Christmas special, if you will, with one of the most influential uh, and infamous, even, social commentators of our times, the fabulous Stefan Molyneux. Stefan, welcome to the Vinnie Eastwood Show.
1: Thanks, Vinnie. It's good to be back.
0: Could you just explain a little bit about you know who you are and uh, what it is you do in terms of the audience?
1: Sure. Um My name is Stefan Molyneux. I run a philosophy show, I dare say the philosophy show on the web called Free Domain Radio at freedomainradio.com, where I have, embarrassingly to say, over 2,500 shows, um, seven or eight books available. Everything's free. It's commercial free. It's a donation-based model. And um, I try to reason from first principles to solve the problems of Ethics, society, politics, relationships, the world—you know—philosophy is like the all science, the all discipline. It encompasses everything, and so uh, I do my best to wrangle with the great philosophical issues. It's a very sort of thriving community. There are almost thirteen thousand members on the message board. We do a call-in show every Sunday at two p.m. Eastern Standard Time. People can drop by the chat window to chime in, and really, it's um, it's philosophy as a conversation. It's the original idea of philosophy, which was to be in the marketplace and to talk to people about how values and virtue and goodness and truth can really help them live better, more powerful, more effective lives. And I would say that at the moment in particular, I feel that we're kind of at a crux, at a crossroads, at a very challenging point in human history. And so I think that now more than ever, we need to be able to make decisions according to first principles, uh, according to deep integrity according to the moral courage that is necessary to fight back the darkening bat wings of these times so that's uh, my calling I was originally I mean I was uh, i studied at the national theater school I went to uh, English I wrote uh, English um, uh, in college uh, I wrote some plays some novels Uh, I was a software entrepreneur for about 15 years and then I just started doing this stuff and found that um, it's a calling you know I mean the other stuff was a job and it was fun but this is a real calling, and I'm very, very uh, pleased and privileged to be able to do it.
0: So you're like the Batman of philosophy.
1: <laughs> Tell me how. Uh, do I have a uh, vaguely gay sidekick? Uh, do I have a jet-propelled car? Do I have a utility? Well, I do have a utility belt, but I just use that for role-playing.
0: Well, I guess there's a little Batman in all of us. Wanting to fi- stamp out uh, uh, evil and injustice wherever you see it with whatever weapons you got. And in some cases, the weapon uh, that's most dangerous uh, to the enemy is your mind. And uh, philosophy, I think, is a, is a great idea uh, to expand your understanding of just who it is we are and where it is we're going. And very rarely is that ever <laughs> considered in government.
1: Right. We can't do good unless we know what is true. And philosophy, fundamentally, is the art of separating truth from from falsehood, that which is real from that which is imaginary. And we live, I would argue, in a matrix uh, of words. Um, Descartes, many, I guess, 250 odd years ago, wrote a book where he said, what if, and this was a terrifying thought to, I mean, if you really delve into the thought, it can be kind of terrifying. He said, what if? I'm like a brain in a tank, and everything that I feel and perceive and experience is a dream controlled by some sort of demon. How would I ever know what is true? How would I ever fight my way through to what was real? It's the matrix argument, and I believe that we live in a matrix of language, of words, of propaganda, of indoctrination, and fighting your way free of that is... um, It's like a... I, the, the, the image that comes to mind is, you know, you're in a submarine that cracks, and it's not too far below the surface, but you have to fight your way to the surface, to the air, to that which is breathable, rather than living in this artificial containment of, um, of culture. Uh, and I don't mean culture, I don't mean sort of, I'm an enemy of culture, but by culture, I don't mean, you know, the arts. I mean, everything which is not true according to science and reason. You know, my country is better than your country. My my history is better than your history. My God is better than your God. My government is better than your government. My army is better than your army. All of that seems to be deeply in culture.
0: As in the cult part of culture.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, you know, philosophy tries to sweep all of that aside and says, okay, we're going to start with the blank page here. We're going to try and resist as much as possible to be sucked into the black hole of historical momentum, that which our culture or society treasures, and say, okay, I'm just going to approach this like a big giant baby space alien at the end of 2001 and look at the world and see what is real and what is not. And that is a very alarming and challenging thing to do, because what is not real fundamentally is the moral legitimacy." of political hierarchies, and that is something that when you first begin to see it, it it shook me to the core, and I think it shakes people to the core when you realize that, you know, we're just a bunch of mammals using morals to try and climb up on top of each other and exploit each other to the max, and uh, philosophy is the enemy of that, and therefore it is the enemy of all that is unjust and uh, political. Well, but I repeat myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, like I say, in the end, everything goes back to the beginning,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly the beginning would be, you know, like first principles. What is true? What is right? What is good? And these things can be analyzed and understood philosophically, but it's like a series of dominoes that go down or it's like, um, you know, you think, Oh, I got a little piece of lint on my sweater and you, <laughs> you pull that piece of lint off. It tends to be the one piece of thread that's holding it all together and you end up standing, <laughs> you know, with no top on. And so philosophy by starting from first principles, um, really does they, uh, what, set the individual against the culture that he's in and i think that's healthy i mean i sort of view original thinkers uh, as the sort of random genes that move the species forward if we all just did what our ancestors did we'd all still be you know sitting in caves picking lights out of each other's hair and the, the forward momentum is the drop kick of reason and evidence uh, put forward by crazy people and <laughs> so you, I, you, you know,
0: mentioned you mentioned first principles what exactly are the first principles is there like a list of them
1: Uh, yeah i mean aristotle came up with a good set i think uh sort of the three basic laws of logic um so the first law is that a is a an object is itself and nothing else and the second is to say that um an object cannot be both itself and something else at the same time so an elephant can't be both an elephant and a painting at the same time and if you're going to compare two things it's either one or the other and so if something's true then it's true uh, if you're putting up forward a proposition that's supposed to be universal, that claims to be universal, not I like ice cream, but um, this is true to for everyone at all times, then it's either true or it's false. And it has to be either true or false. It can't sort of be somewhere in, in the middle. So first principles are things that you just can't get away from. You just can't escape. So, for instance, you and I are talking and we're using language. Now, if I would have put forward the argument to you, Vinny, and say language is incomprehensible, that would be a violation of first principles or what you could call a self-detonating argument. And a self-detonating argument is an argument that implodes itself through the uttering. So if I say language is meaningless, then I'm relying on the fact that language has meaning to communicate that language has no meaning. Or if I, if I yell in your ear and say sound does not exist, well, because I'm yelling in your ear, I'm assuming that sound does exist. So if I say sound doesn't exist, right? Or if I, if I say to you, I have no self-ownership, but I'm using my own body to make an argument against my own ownership of my own body because I'm using my vocal cords and my, my tongue and my lips and my mouth and all that to make the sounds. So this is sort of where you get the basics of philosophy, the things which, if you reject them, then you simply cannot have a conversation about truth with anyone. The moment that you try to convince someone of something, the moment you try to establish something as true, the moment you try to correct someone, you, you make so many massive assumptions that... Everybody wants to vault over those and just start debating all of these details. But if you look at the amount of assumptions built in to me basically saying, Vinny, I'm right and you're wrong, or my argument is right and your argument is wrong. Well, I'm accepting that I exist. I'm accepting that you exist. I accept that you're responsible for your argument, because I call it your argument. I'm accepting that I'm responsible for my argument. I accept that sound exists. I I accept that an an objective medium exists between the two of us, sound waves and air. I accept that language has meaning. I accept that there's something called universal truth, which is better than error. And I I say, you don't just obey me, like my opinion, like you have to like ice cream, but I'm saying you must obey an indifferent, external, third-party thing called philosophy, reason, evidence, and truth. So if you look at how much is built in to simply the act of having a debate, of having an argument, then you've solved a huge number. But everybody wants, you know, they'll, they'd like to come up and say, uh, there's no such thing as absolute truth, which of course is an absolute truth statement that says there's no such thing as absolute truth. Or they'll say everything is subjective, but they're using objective language and an objective medium called sound waves and, and the senses. Or they'll say the senses have no meaning, but, or the senses are always in error, or the senses have error. But they're using language to communicate through the ears, through the senses, or through writing. That the senses have error. So, if you accept that which is embedded in the act of having an argument, you've solved ninety percent of philosophical problems. But everyone gets just want to leap over that and just start debating all these inconsequentials.
0: Makes you wonder who's benefiting from a lack of philosophical argument.
1: Well, that's a <laughs> that's a great question. Um, language is. Language can be manipulated, and reality cannot. Right? So language can be manipulated. So I can't go into a field I mean I guess I can, but it won't work, go into a field and yell at the at the ground, give me wheat <laughs> I can go out there, I guess like King Lear and yell at the storm, but it's not gonna if I yell at the storm I don't get a roof over my head. So you you can't go and manipulate reality. Right? Like I can't jump off a cliff and suddenly say, I can fly and then flap my way off into the sunset and I can't yell at um, a cow and turn it into a steak. So, reality can't be manipulated, but human beings can be. And this is why people focus on using language to control people, right? So, if I say, like, I can't yell at the um, the ground and get wheat, but I can say to a farmer, uh, listen, uh, I have an invisible friend who is going to punish you after you die if you don't give me 10% of your wheat. And so I can't yell at the ground to make, make it give me wheat, but I can manipulate and, and sow fear, uncertainty and doubt into people and have them hedge their bets by creating massive supernatural punishments to get them to give me wheat. So I can't yell at the ground to give me wheat, but I can yell at people to give me wheat. And that's fundamentally why I, I almost sometimes think that's why language was developed as a tool of predation.
0: It just it sounds like you were just describing the bailouts to me.
1: <laughs> Go ahead.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, the no bailouts, no tell me tell me
1: what you mean. I think that's interesting.
0: Well, it's just how the bailouts are just basically making up all this fake stuff and telling everybody that you need to give us all this fake stuff otherwise we'll implode your fake stuff and make you real suffer.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean there's no question that the argument put forward to the political classes by the economic classes was pure concentrated grade A uranium terrorism. There's no question of that. If you threaten people to to blow up their buildings uh, and if they don't give you money clearly that's just terrorism and and uh, and evil and immoral I thought
0: but that was course, just you say, foreign well, we're foreign policy
1: gonna, Yeah but if we if you say well we're going to detonate the entire economic system is going to detonate and millions of people are going to starve unless you give us a couple of trillion dollars I mean how is that different from you know an entirely sophisticated and highly profitable bank robbery or rather population robbery which is what it always is so yeah I agree I mean that you just create these um Pascal Blaise Pascal uh, 18th century philosopher said that, um, 17th century, sorry. Uh, he said that, uh, you know, there was this wager, you know, like you should believe in God because if you believe in God and there is no God, well, you've lost a couple of Sundays, uh, you know, you <laughs> could have slept in or whatever and you have got some water sprinkled on your head. There's no biggie, right? But if you don't believe in God and there is a Christian God who'll send you to hell or some other God who'll send you to hell, then you may have saved, you saved yourself a couple of Sundays, but then you spend eternally eternity and hellfire and so on. And so he just basically said the wager is like it just, just err on the side of caution. You know, just in case there is one, it's worth it. And of course, all that does is it encourages people to come up with the most catastrophic scenarios in order to prey upon others. And of course, you heard this all the time. You heard this all the time. If we don't get $2 trillion this weekend, or a $1 trillion this weekend, the entire financial system of the world is going to collapse. It's
0: it's like um, some ancient civilization and some witch doctor going, if you don't give me 12 virgins and all your gold, there will be a great plague upon your entire crops, and they will fail, and there will be floods and droughts, and all terrible things will happen. Oh, so it's, they give it's, them it's the pure the 12 voodoo. virgins and all their food and all it, their, Yeah, <laughs> it's it's the federal voodoo reserve
1: yeah no it is and um you know they, they give you the sense of urgency i mean and then it has to be done right now uh but of course then they say it has to be done in secret and so you can't get the details until years afterwards and i mean oh yeah it was a complete shakedown and a very effective one and a very powerful one and i mean what the hell do politicians fundamentally know Uh, about all of this stuff they spent their time campaigning not learning and so uh, it's it's an incredibly powerful and effective thing and you see this happening all the time all the time you see this happening if we don't go fight those enemies they're going to come and kill us in our beds right what did they say about the war on terror we fight them over there so we don't have to fight them over here and, uh, you know, the the weapons of mass destruction, we don't want the smoking gun to show up in the form of a mushroom cloud. I mean, it, all you do is create these catastrophic results for people. You panic them, you stimulate their amygdala and fight or flight response, and they will just hand over their firstborn. Uh, people want to survive. And if you scare them with enough uh, ugly things, and this is how the state fundamentally works. It works on terror and it works on violence. And so people, and, and even in a softer way, right? So people will say... Well, without the government welfare programs, the poor will starve in the streets. And that's another argument from apocalypse. This is what I call them. It's an argument from apocalypse. And you know that somebody is full of entirely perfect level grade A bullshit when they use the argument from apocalypse. If we don't do X, if we don't have government run education, nobody will be educated. And, uh, you know, if we don't have a government uh, uh, pensions, then all of the old people will be eating each other like uh, starving cats in a burlap bag. It's just an argument from apocalypse and it's all nonsense. It's when people Uh, want to stick their hands in in your pocket you know they have somebody else bump into you to distract you and the argument from apocalypse is what distracts you and then you you know reach into your pocket and your money's all gone
0: but what's funny is when you tell people about this kind of stuff and that they're doing it all deliberately they call you a fear monger we're not the ones mongering fear here have you watched mainstream media ever
1: well, you know, it's, um, oh yeah, the mainstream media is entirely, um, uh, fear And I mean, you can see this happening but the, the Ron Paul racist newsletter complaints for the third decade. I think they're going into this stuff. Ugh. And it's funny, you know, they, the, and the other thing is it's a conspiracy theory. Like if you say, if you say that people in power might have, could conceivably have interests in common with other people in power or that human beings have a talent, for using language and fear and control and indoctrination to control others. When you look around the world, you'd say, well, of course. I sort of feel sometimes like, you know, we're like a herd of gazelle, you know, and <laughs> there are all these lions and they're sort of circling around us. And I'm sort of going up to the other gazelles and I'm saying, you know what? I I think these lions might be working together. You're a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, even lions hunt instinctively in packs. Do we not think the ruling classes do that too? I mean, of course they do.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we have a, a similar joke here in New Zealand where there's a group of sheep and a sheepdog and a farmer, and uh, one of the sheep is standing apart from the rest of the herd, and he goes, "Hey, I think the farmer and the dog might be working together."
1: And they say, "Shut up, Trevor! You and all that conspiracy stuff." Right, right. And I mean, I mean, although this there, is, I mean, there is. Reason-
0: That's the reason why it's so interesting, isn't it, Stefan, is that for the first time in history, the exact same thing is going on in virtually every single country at the exact same time. And it's true testament to the power of these uh, global elite uh, filthy scumbaggery types, is that they really have gained control of the world to a large extent.
1: Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. there's no question. They've, in fact, they've gained control, not just of uh, the physical world, but they've gained control through time because they have stolen trillions of dollars, untold trillions of dollars from the future in the forms of national debts and the forms of unfunded liabilities for all of these sheep tending, pacifying, domesticating programs. They've actually stolen through time. I mean, it, it really is. They're, they're, they're like evil overlords or something. I mean, they've really, are absolutely brilliant i mean and that they can create a massive crater where the future could be where our children's children are going to have to stagger through as uh yoked tax-based slaves uh it, it's it's astoundingly uh wonderful in in its evil you know it's like it's it, it's a wonderful black dark comic opera uh, that is going on although although i will say this oh, yeah. though uh you, vinnie that i will used... say that sorry go ahead
0: You use the word evil. I talked to somebody at the Occupy protest uh, yesterday and uh, she agreed that, yes, this is all evil, but they never use the word evil to describe, you know, the problems when they're at Occupy. They always use the word greedy because, Mm. uh, you know, uh, look, a fact's a fact. And you have a look at the facts. You have a look through history. You have a look at the history of all these people and all the people that are currently in power now and what all their backgrounds are, what their intentions are. And you can see it as nothing less than evil. OK, based on the facts alone, opinion aside. And uh, people, for some reason, they think as a public relations uh, type message that you need to retract on saying or calling something out for what it is because it'll turn people off as if the truth itself is too harsh for people to take, ergo, we need to soften the blow. Do you do you agree with that approach, or do you think that it should all just be uh, a, a sledgehammer to the face? Truth.
1: Oh yeah, no, there's no, there's no. The the the, the hour is getting late, as uh, the man sang. Uh, no, there's there's no. We we absolutely need to pull out all the stops and not be afraid of simple and clear rhetoric. Look, the word "evil" is used a lot in the world, and almost always it's used incorrectly. And uh, so, um, somebody who uh, is pulled over. Uh, and has uh, an unlit joint in the armrest of his car, could go to jail. And, and we don't throw people in jail for being good, and we don't throw people in jail for having different tastes in food. We throw people in jail because they're evil, because they're immoral, because they must be punished. And so we're willing to say that some guy with a piece of wrapped-up vegetation who's doing no harm to anyone, he's not using it while he's driving, which could be dangerous, but that man uh, is evil. Uh, and yet... We will not say to people who start unjust wars that cause uh, millions of people to be displaced and hundreds of thousands or over a million Iraqis to be slaughtered, we won't call those people evil. The people who steal from the future, we will not call them evil. The people who run up debts, we will not call them evil. And uh, it really is astounding. Uh, Even if we were to accept that the guy with the joint is evil, which of course he's not, but even if we were to accept that, let's get our damn priorities straight and look at who is actually doing the real evil in the world— And what I was going to say earlier is that the one thing that I will say that is a progress, you know, the the progress of the moral march up this ice cliff to the future, which we sometimes feel like we're sort of digging our teeth in and climbing up that way in our toenails. The moral march up the cliff is in inches. It's measured in inches. And the one thing that is positive is that the ruling classes used to profit and pray and appease their sadistic impulses, through world wars i mean that was a story of the 20th century now it's just theft rather than murder that's that's what we call the 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 the, the growth or the progress of the species that the 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 species they're just stealing from us now they're not actually getting us killed by the millions uh, at least not directly so from that standpoint i mean it it you have to sort of look at a battle of inches there has been some progress now i would say part of that is sort of the moral awareness and part of that is the internet And part of that also, of course, is the fact that the ruling classes are subjected to war in a way that they weren't before. Because of nuclear weapons or weapons of mass destruction, you can't just order a war like you could in the First and Second World Wars and be safe at home. Uh, You're actually subject to it now. So, you know, as soon as the rulers were threatened by weapons, they actually found a way to negotiate or steal without quite as much slaughter, or at least not as much slaughter among the people who have weapons of mass destruction. So, again, it's not a lot to hang your hat on, but it is progress of a kind.
0: Well, going back to the gazelles as you talked about, with the lions circling around, I don't see it as kind of like a war of attrition of a of a one front or or anything like that. I think it's a uh, a complete three hundred and sixty degree front, and the lions are moving in inch by inch by every degree, and uh, that's what people have to recognize is that it's not an isolated problem it is not uh an exclusive problem it is everybody's problem and it really is everybody's problem right here right now in every single way if the if you're sitting anywhere at any point in a modern city today you are being poisoned straight away and a lot of the stuff, all this wireless electricity and EMF waves and everything like that, there's plenty of alternatives available that are actually even cheaper and easier to make that don't emit all those dangerous waves that make people sick.
1: Actually, I think I just read a report that Wi-Fi uh, somewhat disables sperm cells. Um, anyway, yeah, well, I mean, we there have is an a...
0: incredibly low sperm count now uh, 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 all over the place, don't we? In the Western world, men sperm count down like 70 percent 80 percent 90 percent it's out of control i come from a family of uh, five kids and you know the rest of the them have like eight ten kids or whatever and then you have a look at families nowadays one two maybe three's like wow wow it, everybody's being eugenicized
1: yeah i mean there's i think there's some sperm count issues i mean people of course are getting stuck in, I mean, the, you have to go to college to even get some uh, rescuing from the crap education you get throughout your childhood and teenage years. So that delays people getting started when the economy is bad, people breed less. I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the the, the demographics of population replacement in the West is, uh, I mean, is a, a, a so slowly falling tombstone on our, our culture. And uh, I mean, the, but this is what happens to people who don't defend the values that they inherited. I mean, we inherited values of skepticism Against big government. We inherited values of skepticism against big religion. We inherited values of skepticism against all forms of unjust authority. And we just tossed them aside. We just dropped them. We, you know, when, uh, after the Second World War, when all of the socialist intellectuals who'd produced the living hells of national socialism and fascism in Italy and communism in Russia, when they all fled, the collapsing cathedrals of their violent fantasies, and they all came to North America. They just, you know, through the GI Bill, they just infected all the new people uh, coming back from the war with all the socialism, and then we got that. And you know, lo and behold, a generation later, it's just, uh, you know, as 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 the time gets longer, as the the turnaround gets harder. I think basically the only way that people are going to change, and uh, this is, you see this very commonly throughout history in Arab Spring is to do with people were starving because when you live on two bucks a day and the price of wheat doubles, then you're toast unless you have a revolution. Tiananmen Square. I mean, the students were starving. They weren't just idealists standing up to tanks for the sake of democracy. They were hungry. And unfortunately, if you don't make decisions according to reason and evidence, you end up having to make decisions at an extremity uh, according to urgent biological needs like food and water. And I think it's going to have to come to that uh, because people simply seem unrousable in, in a fundamental way. I think there's been too much dumbing down. I think there's been too much avoidance. I think there's too much shame among the older people in particular about the world that they're sending down the pipe to their uh, children. So I think, um, you know, much though we've struggled, uh, most of us have struggled for many decades to wake people up. Uh, I don't think it's going to be quick or fast enough to avoid a significant uh, change. Um, hopefully, people will wake up when they're hungry because they're not waking up when they're being reasoned with.
0: Well, I think there will be an accelerating course of that time. But I believe uh, wholeheartedly that it's not just waking up people that we need to be focusing on. It's also what happens, you know, just in your daily life. What do you do after you wake up? You go to work. And uh, that's what people need to do is not only wake up to the new world or to go to work against it motivating people to uh, start their own radio shows, their own websites, blogs, start supporting... Well, the, and uh, confront groups and the, the damn people in your
1: life. You know, people, sorry to didn't but people don't want to upset the people in their life. Oh, there he goes again off on his thing. Oh, there he goes on his libertarian thing. Oh, there he goes talking about Ron Paul again. Or there he goes talking about this, that, and the other. It's like... I mean, people say, oh, well, I don't want to bother my family. I don't want to bother my friends and so on. Well, you know what will bother them? Dictatorship. I think that will bother <laughs> them a whole lot more than being nagged at about dinner to to wake up to the reality of, of where the world is and where it's heading. This is, you know, classic uh, pre-tyranny um, uh, movements that are occurring in the world today. And bother people, you know, bother people. Because, you know, the worst thing you want to do is, <laughs> I don't know, just you know stand in some detention camp with someone saying, well, you know, at least I didn't disturb your dinner three Thanksgivings ago. Aren't you happy?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, like Alex Jones always says, you have been
1: warned. <laughs> i think you have to sound growler but yeah i, I guess i get the point you know and, and it is tough because people don't want to hear and everybody sort of believes that the the, the, the tomorrow is going to be kind of like yesterday and on, uh, historically on, that's not what happens
0: on on that point you know how people sometimes don't get, a, get a, a positive response when they tell people about you know the truth and uh they start to hold a pin on their fellow man they start to get kind of uh upset with them and call them sheeple and slaves and be derogatory and all that kind of jazz you ever feel like that? You ever feel like, oh, these people are just scum as well. Maybe the new world order is right. I've actually talked to many people who have done some deep research and they found themselves agreeing with the new world order that yes, we do need to be controlled. Yes. We don't know what's good for ourselves. I can't understand that mentality because most of the people that I meet are genuine, decent, hardworking and honorable, uh, individuals. So, how could a society yes, but, but what about when decent, you decent, what, what, hardworking individuals figure stuff out for themselves, how could that go wrong?
1: Well, I, and I agree with you. Most of the people I meet are very nice and cordial and pleasant and polite and, and concerned and considerate and so on, right? I mean, you know, uh, people uh, I'm carrying my daughter, people will open the door. People are very civil. And I, but, you see, that is, that is what I call community. That is what I call the world that we live in. And that is a great world, and that is a wonderful world. And I really like that world. That's the world where you tip your waiter well, if your waiter does a good job. That's the world where you give up your seat on the bus to the pregnant lady. And that is a real world. It's a wonderful world that we live in. That's not the world that the world lives in, right? The world lives in these weird hierarchies where politicians can pass laws at whim to to throw people in jail indefinitely without trial, where they can start wars, where they can steal from future generations. There's this weird, twisted medieval helmet that is on the normal, smiling, happy, fleshy head of humanity, which we really have to to look at very critically. Uh, Most people are very nice, and most people would never imagine using force to compel you to do what they want. Right. I mean, they'll, they'll come knock on the door. They'll ask for money and maybe you'll give them. Maybe you won't, but they'll, they'll have charities, but they would never dream of taking a gun, you know, putting it square on your forehead and say, give me money for my good cause or, you know, I'm going to shoot you or I'm going to kidnap you. Or, I'm going to put you in my windowless fan and throw you in my basement. They would never imagine that. And, and that is the virtue of humanity that. We must trust, and it's it's not an imaginary trust. It's a very real trust. Most people, I believe, and I'm I've, I've, good in social circumstances.
0: Yeah, so, And that, that, that's the trust mentality within the general community, but when you visit into hierarchical structures in major organizations such as government, business, or, uh, or the media, you have a very, very different structure indeed, where it's not necessarily about loyalty and politeness and being kind and judicially uh, discreet about things and what have you. It's about getting to the top. Um, kind of like um, on a pond, you notice if it goes stagnant, the uh, the scum floats right to the top.
1: Right, right, right. And and the the challenge is always to say to people this basic decency and voluntarism that you live in. Like, you want a job, you'd never imagine kidnapping the guy's kids until he gives you the job. If you want a date with a woman, you'd never imagine putting a burlap sack over her head and dragging her into a car. Right. You, you ask and you accept rejection like any mature person. If you're an actor, you want a job, you go for an audition. If they say no, you, you know, you're upset, but that's it. Right. So trying to say to people that, that, that this is the world that we want. This is the world that you have when you interact with your fellow man on a, on a face to face basis. That is the world that we want. That is the world of, uh, that is paradise. That is utopia. That is peace. It is not perfect because it's life and life is messy, but it is sustainable and it is peaceful and it is good. But getting people to say, okay, well, how I deal with people in my life is how people should be dealt with in general in their lives. People have a very tough time, right? They have have a tough time piercing through that layer of bullshit where morality gets reversed, right? So you and I can't use violence to achieve some good that we want, but the government can and, and must and is considered good. It's evil if we do it, boink, you flip it around. It's virtuous for the government to do it. Right. If a guy in a foreign country kills someone and he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt, he's a murderer. If he's wearing a green costume, he might be a hero. He might get a pension. He might get a parade. Right. It's, it's this weird. You just do this flip, this reverse, where suddenly you're in a black is white, up is down moral antiverse, uh, where, where good has become evil and evil has become good and getting people to see that the world that we live in, where we interact with each other on a daily basis, that is how society should work. That is the way society does work. And we've got to combat. This opposite, negative, ugly, medieval, vicious world of brutality that is currently used to rule what are, in general, very good and very nice people. But getting them to take a stand with you on the wall is the tough part, right? Well, isn't it funny, though, that
0: all the good, nice, decent people who live in this world get badly affected by it. And because they've had bad experiences, like perhaps going to war in Iraq, they come home with uh, lots of trauma and wind up becoming bad people. Because nobody helps them through it, other than giving them pharmaceutical drugs, and everybody like it's like these people are a manufactorium of scumbaggery. They, if you enter into the structure, you will not come out of it, an honest, decent person, if you've been in there long enough. They're no, and recruiting. you know that
1: uh, there are more deaths from suicide than combat in the U.S. military. I think it's around five thousand a year. Uh, veterans kill themselves. I mean, what's
0: one of the main side effects of antidepressant drugs that they're giving all the soldiers? <gasps> Suicidality suicide. and
1: violence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Connection. Bingo. Yeah. Oh wait, 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 wait. We can't make that connection, Stefan, because it might threaten the uh, the profit margins of certain giant pharmaceutical uh, 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 major death factoriums.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's uh, brutal. I mean, these uh, you, you, people, cattle are, are dispatched more humanely than some of these people uh, who go through these grueling combat tours, come home, and uh, put on these you know vicious drugs uh, and then kill. Them. I mean, it's just brutal. I mean, if somebody did that to a to a cow, you know, it's amazing. You know, the, the government has laws against cockfighting. You know, because because you see that's cruel. It's cruel to put two birds in a ring and have them fight. That's that's what the government has laws against, and oh, I think it was some sports guy in the U.S. went to got I don't know got fined or went to jail for getting involved in cockfighting. You see, because because that's wrong. That's brutal. But war gets you yellow ribbons on the car and parades. Uh, it it really is, you know, just, just trying to square a, these circles is mad.
0: Unless you were a returning Vietnam vet
1: with yes, Agent Orange well, poisoning. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, or the the Gulf War vets with these mysterious maladies that they got from potentially radioactive weapons and so on. I mean, it's uh, oh, and there's also all the
0: vaccines that they put that they put them on. Like when they say "sign your life away" on this dotted line, they mean it. They own you for life. And uh, yeah, many of the people there who who experience going through military testing is, is basically almost all combat now is really considered testing, isn't it? Because they got all new weapons and all new vaccines and all new pills and and something like uh, uh, 25 to 35 percent of uh, active uh, duty, you know, combat troops in Iraq are on medications as well. So it's a uh, it's a massive festival in there. Where's all the? How many private corporations are involved with contracting to military intelligence, or or, or, uh, or even just setting up the bases, building them, that that kind of thing? There's a huge
1: quantity of money tied up in all this. So well, that's because the government doesn't do a damn thing pretty much right i mean you don't see the united way a private charity going saying well you know what we better subcontract out to the department of health and welfare from the government so we can really get some effective stuff done that's because the government can't get anything done it's all clogged up with bureaucracy and paperwork and make work so they have to hire people to actually get things done and uh yeah of course uh governments love to be able to hand out money outside the bureaucracy because it guarantees further vote buying and, and donations from big corporations uh it is part of the you know that there's this terrible these terrible set of events that are that are put in motion vinny you know when when a society just s- sort of says okay you know it's it's almost like they say we we give up we're just going to we just hand over all this power to the government and we're just going to hope to god that it's going to solve the problem that we're throwing at it you know oh, poverty or education or 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 peace or defense or whatever you're going to throw this at the government but you set it in this terrible this terrible series of events Get set in motion. I mean, you're just talking about these these uh, meds. Um, just reading a, a good book called uh, "Anatomy of an Epidemic." Well, the guy talks about it, says you know after the Second World War, the government began to seriously fund mental health. And uh, what happened? Well, uh, you know it went down this mudslide uh, pit. You know, in in the 1960s, uh, in certain years, one in three Americans was on a psychotropic drug. In you know Valium or what was called Miltown back then, and all these other things, which were all touted as the new miracle cures. One in three. And, of course, the, you set up the system where the people who are paying for it don't uh, write the prescriptions, and the people who are writing the prescriptions don't pay for it. So the doctors can hand out this stuff to people rather than have them examine their own lives or say, you know, the reason you feel anxious, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, is because you're on the Titanic and it's sinking, and you damn well should be anxious, and you should damn well get to a lifeboat. No, no, no. Just give people some drugs and say everything's fine. You know, maybe your porthole has tilted. It's not like the water is tilting or anything. It's not like we're going down. And so you set these terrible things in motion the moment you hand over a monopoly of medical care to government either in terms of licensing or genuine socialist uh, healthcare system the moment you turn over things to the government you set in seri- in motion these terrible series of events it's um, it's like this horrible Goldberg machine uh, that just ends up with um, you know machetes and guillotines it's just hideous uh, and people don't see that at the beginning but you know I think we're closer to the end and seeing how it's working now or not
0: yeah yeah well, well, well we're wrapping up. 2011 what what in your mind have been the major events of 2011
1: i'll let you start with that one while i gather my thoughts if that's all right
0: (laughs) i was thinking libya libya is one of the major things that that really kind of stuck out for me uh in 2011 and uh, also fukushima that uh giant freaking earthquake that's uh that's a real rough one there Uh, The second Christchurch earthquake in New Zealand, where we lost 158 people. And it's amazing when you look back on years as somebody who reports the news, just how much of those events actually involve fear, pain, and suffering and death.
1: Yeah, I think that I would view 2011 as the year of the collapse of statism as a philosophy. Uh, I, I think I did a series in, I think it was 2009, where I said statism is dead as a philosophy. And I think that we really saw the last death throes of statism as a philosophy um in in 2011 the approval rating of congress at the moment in america is 6% and that's you know congressmen their kids their mistresses their gay uh, bathroom stall sex partners their you know their their constituents then those who are dependent upon them for handouts and goodies but effectively the there is almost there is almost zero uh, there's almost zero support for government uh, in the united states i'm not sure where it is uh, elsewhere in the world i have not heard of a major government program initiative that has had any traction or any success. Uh, you know, there's massive opposition to the bailouts. Uh, there's a, a exhaustion with climate change uh, and a, a perception that um, governments just have no intention. I mean, Canada signed Kyoto and our emissions have gone up. 24% since then. And we just pulled out of Kyoto because we were about to get hit with billions of dollars in penalties. And so everyone gets <laughs> that that's not solving any problems. They're not solving any problems. And they've created far more problems than they've attempted to solve. And the shit has really hit the fan, you know, with the the baby boomers retiring and the pension schemes and public sector workers being so vastly underfunded, the healthcare systems unable to take in the massive influx that's going to be occurring of an aging population, a uh, lack of uh, new tax livestock to pay for, um, you know, the, 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 the not only lack of savings, but massive debt as we go into this demographic twilight. So I think the biggest thing in, in 2011 has just been a massive collapse in belief in the state as an agency that can solve uh, problems. And I think compared to, I mean, I started doing this kind of activism almost 30 years ago. And back then, I mean, you, you couldn't criticize the government without people looking at you like you were coming out of a children's party having shot santa claus in the kneecap i mean you you couldn't do it and now i mean the 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 level of hostility and skepticism fear and antagonism towards government is just astounding and i think it's a you know it's an intellectual powder keg just waiting to be let
0: yeah that's that's right actually i mean i i i'm as you can tell, pretty vocal against the government and talk about it around lots and lots of different people. And very, very rarely do I have somebody who actually defends the government. They're like, well, yep, yep, you're right. <laughs> and they ask them, yeah, like so, you can the moment trust them, and you can't do this, you can't do that. They're going to take that from you. They're going to take this from you. It's as if the government is a never-ending black hole vampire. If it doesn't just crush you, it'll certainly suck the lifeblood out of you.
1: Well, and uh, I, I mean, I grew up in in England in the 1970s when, I mean, I couldn't miss all of the stuff that was going on. I mean, obviously, there were the IRA attacks, and we were always told as kids even to watch out for unattended shopping bags in bus shelters and stuff like that. That was our, you know, war on terror, so to speak. But uh, back, back in the day when Margaret Thatcher tried to, you know, privatize that which had been formally nationalized by the Labour government after the Second World War, the coal and gas and oil, all the stuff that was going on in England... I mean, there were oil, oil, coal strikes in winter where people were freezing to death, but the, the majority of the population seemed to be behind the, the unions. And you got all of these Norma Ray movies about these sort of proud, happy unions and so on. And now, I guess it's 30 years later or 25 years later, no, 30, 30 or more years later, 40 years later now, it's it's a completely different kettle of fish. Now government unions are, you know, I think rightly perceived as, you know, a bunch of entitled whiners who are like, you know, fat cells in the arteries of the economy. And people have really got a lot of skepticism. Like, for instance, uh, they're, they're talking about um, the, the the post office in the U.S. is uh, facing massive cuts and this and that. Nobody seems to give a shit. I mean, in the past, this would have been, you know, protests in the streets and save our Postal workers are noble, heroic, you know, postal workers, and, and now people just like, yeah, you know, screw them. I mean, it's nothing but junk mail anyway. I get everything through email, and I can't stop these people from stuffing pizza coupons in my house. So, it, it really is, uh, you know, when was the last time that anybody credibly put forward the argument that we can improve government education by giving it more money? You don't hear that argument anymore because everybody gets that it's got nothing to do with more money. And this is incredible. What a collapse in a socialist run that really, you could say, began in the West in the sort of mid to late 19th century, took a real step forward fa- with Fabian socialism at the turn of the last century and then took a massive step forward when socialism got the magic monopoly money of centrally printed fiat currency uh, with the government control of a currency in central banking. I mean, that party is coming to an end and it has been 150 years of progressively diminishing freedoms. Now, with the exception, and it's very important to mention that, of course, with the exception of women and minorities, who damn well should have got their equality long before, but this death of the idea that we can just shovel problems, you know, just catapult problems over the, you know, old medieval bloody fence of statism and have, have magic elves of, of murder work on them to the benefit of all... No, Nobody believes that anymore. Nobody nobody puts that forward credibly. I mean, a few old dinosaurs like Paul Krugman say, well, the problem with the stimulus package is it wasn't big enough. You try telling that to the average American that the banks should have gotten more of their money and see how well it flies. But this is very different from what it was 30 years ago.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure that's something his girlfriend told him is that it's just not big enough. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah i i need i need more of a stimulus package than your soup yeah, strainer can provide I mean, yeah
0: and if and if there's no uh stimulus there might be ramp deflation
1: <laughs> that's right followed by depression
0: and stagflation
1: <laughs> you mean if you go to a stag party you inflate yeah i can believe that i like reindeer you know in a tight pantyhose anyway
0: yes 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 in fact I have some reindeer uh, uh, regalia that I could put on my head but we'll save that for, for another christmas episode.
1: You'll need a widescreen video camera for that for sure.
0: Yeah, that's true, that's true. And
1: they must have blinking lights. That's uh, that's I mean it's a christmas. This is, this is our christmas special and it is you know, quite festive, I think we'll agree.
0: Yes, 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 yes. And, and But but
1: that's sorry, but that's fantastic. So the, the fact that there's been a collapse in in, in support for the state is, is This is why I sort of say I really believe 2012 is going to be a crossroads uh, because with a collapse in an existing paradigm comes the potential for good things to happen or really, really bad things to happen. Uh, this is the way that uh, the pendulum swings, right? And, um, so well, I think with the, with as the, the
0: pendulum swings back and forth, things get better and worse at the same time.
1: Well, yeah, certainly in any improvement in society, things are going to get better for some and worse for others. And they're generally going to get worse for everyone to begin with, right? Mm. Um I mean, that's just, you know. I mean, so, I mean, if you sort of look at Russia at the turn of the century, you had the the sort of moderate Democrats vying uh, fighting against the the, you know, crazy, rabid Bolsheviks. And there was, so there was an improvement. Uh, and, you know, for, I think, a decade or so, Russia began to function more or less like a, um, on its way to Western democracy, uh, democracy and capitalism. So the serfs were liberated and so on. And then there was a backlash. And this is what always happens when there's some growing freedoms is there's always a backlash against that from the people who are preying, uh, on the evils, right? When, when the evil gets beaten back, they, you know, they attack. I mean, you look at what's happening at, uh, with Governor Walker in Wisconsin when he tries to take on the public sector unions in very minor ways. I mean, they go completely hysterical. They, you know, they have recall elections, they have massive protests, sit-ins, they're throwing bricks through windows. I mean, the death threats. I mean, this is what happens when you try to do any good in the world is you attract all the evil rabid vampire bats on the planet. And that's, of course, I mean, it's actually a great sign that Ron Paul's being attacked because it means that he's actually having some impact. If he wasn't having any impact, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be attacked. So I think it's really, really important because if people say, well, you know, we're sick of the current system, we don't believe in the current system, the current system sucks and must be fundamentally changed. If they say, well, the problem is freedom, the problem is the free market, the problem is capitalism or corporations or whatever you want to call it, there's some element of voluntarism and free trade, then, I mean, you're just going to end up in a socialist hell, you know, for a couple of generations before people learn that lesson. So we we hope it doesn't have to get worse before it gets better, but if we can make the point that it is not voluntarism, that has failed. It is violence that has failed. It's violence that always and forever will fail in an individual's life and in a society's life. We all understand that a man who beats his wife cannot beat the love into her. And we all understand that a parent who beats his or her child cannot beat the love into that child. we also understand that if you use state violence to achieve your ends, you will not beat virtue. You will not jail virtue. You will not indebt virtue into society. So as long as we get people to understand that it is violence that has failed, then we can begin to look at ways that we can restructure society without this core predatory monopoly of force at the center of society and align it. So the society is like you and a waiter. It's like you and a date. It's like you and a job uh, uh, applicant. Uh, it's like you and a job interviewer. That's how society should be structured. That's how it works. So we've just got to stare down this Gorgoth of force and extract it from society, I and mean, we've outgrown it.
0: Well, I think the personification of what we're talking about here is probably Occupy Wall Street, because uh, that's going on all over the world, all the people recognizing that there's so many problems that we can't even produce a list of demands about which problems all need to be solved, um, and the, being demonized in the media, and as you said, that's a good sign, isn't it? Uh, but here's, a, here's an interesting thing. With Auckland Occupy, uh, they, have, they moved out yesterday just going to another park or something happened um, because they had uh, uh, been told to leave. And guess how many police showed up to evict them?
1: Was it five to one?
0: Not one.
1: No police showed up to evict them?
0: Not one. Wow. I I couldn't see a cop anywhere. And the protesters were packing up their own stuff. And the police had submitted evidence in court supporting the protesters' right to be there. And the judge overruled it. And they just ask them to leave, and they're just like, "Well, mate, you know, we're going to be." That's
1: able to a it other way. that's a, a blow against my perhaps prejudice, and I'm completely overjoyed to have been so wrong. Uh, that's a that's a delightful thing to hear. I mean, that's a wonderful thing to hear.
0: See, that's a peaceful resolution uh, that we can all be looking at as a good example. You know, look what they've done in New Zealand, did and use no pepper spray. Just use the court, and the people are, are, are lawfully obliged to do it, so they do it. They just go somewhere else, set up another occupation camp just down the road at another park.
1: So yeah, I mean, I, I I'm no expert on the Occupy movement, but I don't think that they are knowledgeable enough. It takes a lot of deep research, study, and thought to figure out what the world's problems are. Uh, I mean, before I started broadcasting, I was sort of thinking for twenty years or more. And I think that a lot of them are, you know, hippie socialists, frankly, and uh, I think yeah, that they right. may be working <laughs> in the wrong direction. I think they are working in the wrong direction, which is fine. You know, my question is always not whether somebody's right or wrong, but are they open to reason and evidence? Because Lord knows we all make mistakes. We all go the wrong direction at times. But, we, you know, we've got to reorient ourselves according to reason and evidence and philosophy, and that's um, where I'm not sure. That um, that they're going to make that uh, that that leap, uh, but you know, t- time will tell for sure.
0: Well, see, a symbol um, can be used for whatever whatever purposes you want. As far as I'm concerned. And uh, for me, that's what Occupy really is, is simply a symbol. All those other people who can't, you know, go out there and camp out and all that kind of thing, who do want change, who who still have to pay the bills and do their radio shows and all of that kind of stuff, uh, they can't be there to to represent, you know, they would if they could. But uh, as it turns out, the only people who go down there are the people that for a large extent, don't represent their views. So it's a strange um, situation we've got ourselves in here, and I think that's what humanity is really about. Ultimately, is a whole bunch of people with incredibly different ideas coming together and just doing something together anyway, despite the fact that they disagree on a lot of things. Because on the yeah, of and the as, as, as long the, as, as long as the as long as the are ex-
1: sorry, as long as the protests are accepting are accepting that there's something fundamentally wrong, to put it as mildly as possible, with our current system, fantastic. Then they're going to start looking. You know, if you don't think you're lost, you're never going to check your map. And they're checking their map. I hope that they find the North Star of reason, evidence, and philosophy. Uh, But at least they're stopping to check their map. And I think that's fantastic.
0: Mm-hmm. And now moving on from 2011 and uh, Occupy, we want to talk about uh, 2012 and what might be in store uh, for us in the future. We've got uh, a whole bunch of plans the government's had uh, in New Zealand here, selling off state assets, signing up Trans-Pacific Partnership agreements, the equivalent of NAFTA or GATT. Uh, Bringing us into, like, say, an Oceania Union, and uh, there's uh, there's a whole bunch of messy, nasty sort of stuff to take away people's civil rights, uh, copyright laws, and uh, well, basically, it's just exactly the same as what's happening in America,
1: isn't it? Well, I I've made this argument for many years that. Uh... You're going to see, I mean, the, the government has gained a huge amount of power from its dependent classes, right? So you create a, a massive group of people, uh, who are dependent on the U.S. And in, in, in the U.S., it's, it's insane. It's gone from like 15% to almost 40% of people who depend upon the government for a, a significant portion or majority or all of their income. And so the government has basically bought votes by, uh, through bribery and through the bribery, uh, of, you know, magic money through debt and, and inflation. And so, the government has taken that approach to gathering and ma- maintaining its power. And that that game is up. That, that game is done. Uh, it's over. And one of the reasons why I believe that the financial collapse happened when it did and the reason that, that there was so much money transferred out is that there's no money. There's no money. So, you know, like, uh, get as much as you can before everybody goes into the vault and see that it's empty. Just scrape the last few bits of gold off the floor. So... What is going to happen, and you will begin to see it. I think this this coming uh, in 2012 is that the government will simply start to talk about sacrifice. This is what governments always do; uh, they'll either start a war or they'll print lots of money. I don't think that there'll be many more wars. I think there's a lot of war exhaustion in the West and war skepticism, and the anti-war movement, while it's not been able to prevent any wars that we know of, has created a war skepticism that has made the have made the rulers more hesitant in um, plunging into more foreign uh, murder fests. So. I do think, though, that the dependent classes are going. The government's going to turn on them, uh, and there's going to be a, a significant realignment where the government is going to start to value the entrepreneurs and the producers and the corporations. The media is going to follow suit with, you know, positive portrayals of of the media, uh, sorry, positive portrayals of corporations and business and how it benefits people, and you'll start to see a little bit of an influence of um, free market economics uh, seep into it. You can see this happening already, that the standard um, uh, evil villains in movies are no longer always just big real estate developers or oil tycoons or whatever, but you're starting to see evil villains show up uh, in terms of uh, people on the lower classes, dependent on the government, and also people in government, uh, bureaucrats, and uh, you can even see the odd villain showing up as a union leader. Again, this is unheard of in the past. And so there's going to be this reorientation towards, you know, you've got to start standing on your own two feet, uh, independence and sacrifice and 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 courage. And, you know, we've all got to tighten our belts and we've all got to pull together. And, you know, I mean, it won't be uh, here's some free cat food for the old people, but there's definitely going to be because the cupboard is bare, everyone's going to have to be asked to tighten their belts, there's going to be, I mean, these people are not going to go down with the ship, they're very smart at running the human farm and they recognize they've got too many dependent cattle and they don't have enough cattle producing milk. So they're just going to change the story. It's going to be, you know, like 1984, we are now always, we have always been at war with East Asia. So they're just going to change the story and um, the new story is going to be that, you know, we need to stand on our own two feet, we've become too dependent uh, on government, uh, you know, we, we, um, uh, you know, people have become too entitled, there's too much fat in the system, and there'll be this whole new narrative that's going to allow the government to shed a bunch of jobs, kick people into the private sector, where, you know, they'll adapt. I mean, people fight like crazy for against change, but when change comes, more, almost everyone just adapts and is usually happier thereby. So, uh, I think that there's a significant possibility of an increases in liberty through 2012 and 2013. But it's going to be very hard because there's a lot of people who are going to suffer enormously. I, mean, I think of, you know, people who've got like four kids on welfare and no, no dads around. I mean, it's going to be very, very hard. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, unfortunately that's what it has to be. I mean, if it wasn't hard to quit heroin, everybody would start using heroin when they got upset, right? It's hard to, to quit addictions. And that's why you shouldn't get involved in them to begin with. And this is one of the worst addictions of all. But I mean, that's sort of the one side. Now, the other side is that if the narrative of, you know, force and dependence has failed, if that narrative doesn't succeed, then the other narrative is, you know, these bastard capitalists have stolen from the old people and and, uh, and then there'll be just this, you know, like Robespierre reign of terror against the um, the last remnants of the productive classes and then we're all going to go in the shitter together. It's going to be like, you know, we're going to be watching our own feet and go into the woodchopper like in Fargo. Uh, so I think that we're poised between the two and I think it's very important to you pump the narrative forward, the, the true narrative which is that we've you know, we got to stop using force to try and get what we want collectively. Uh, it's, it's always going to result in these kinds of disasters. Once we get people to put down the gun and talk to each other, we have a chance. If we can't make that work, then, um, yeah, I mean, we're going to hit another dark age for sure.
0: I think you're right. And that was something that occurred to me a couple of days ago is that you, you, can, you can't force anybody to do anything. Yeah, and, and you really shouldn't because you never get the result that you want by forcing somebody to do something that they don't want to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, just to go back to our earlier thing, remember how in the... Um, I think it was in the early 1950s when the government began to take over the mental health uh, care field. Um,
0: yeah, I remember that. I was there. It was
1: tiny, right? I mean, so their, their point, their, their goal was, you know, well, we're just going to mop up the last few bits of problems in men- the mental health field. And now you've got over a thousand Americans every day becoming permanently or semi-permanently disabled through, through mental illness and so on. You've got a massive multiplication of mental disorders, endless drugging of children as, long as, as young as two or three years old. I mean, this is what happens. Say, oh, well, we're going to make everybody mentally healthier by having the government come in. You always get the opposite of what you want when you use force. And um, it can't be sustained. And, you know, we just have to keep keep guiding ourselves, look back down at that compass, look back down at that principle. Is this violent? Is this peaceful? Is this violent? Is this voluntary? Is this a gun or is this a handshake? And every time it's a gun, we've got to say, no, this is not how we can run society because we know where this leads. And um, I just but hope that we can get that narrative say, out.
0: Suffice to say, also, uh, the product of propagandistic manipulation of the masses and general mind control of sorts. That's another thing that's really difficult because, also, while they might just very well will hit you with a billy club or spray you in the face with pepper spray. They'll also brainwash you and your entire family and community with BS over the airways for the entirety of your life so that you probably won't even wake up from it, especially if you've also been to public school.
1: You know, Vinny, I I appreciate that and I I understand that, but I can't give people the out called brainwashing anymore. Not since the internet. I I just can't. And not since, like, I, I did a show recently about... Uh, criticizing the baby boomers. And uh, lots of boomers, of course, wrote to me uh, and said, well, you know, we, the money was stolen from us. And, and so, you know, we've got, it's like, well, okay, let's say that it was. Um, does that mean you now get to steal from the young? No, the money was stolen from you and then you didn't rise up and protest it. I mean, I knew and my friends all knew that we were never going to get our pensions back when we were 12 and 13. It wasn't that hard to figure out. Uh, or, you know, they'd say, well, we, you know, we only had – three television stations, it was all Walter, Cron- Walter Cronkite, and we never got the truth, and this and that and the other, but there was dissident media even back, back then. There were libraries, there were you know ways to educate yourself. I mean, there was Robert the Fairfield, there was Ayn Rand, there were lots of people writing even in the 50s and, and earlier. Von Mises was writing from the 20s and onwards. You could get, get a hold of this information, but I do grant that it was harder to do it back in the day. But, you know, post, post internet, I mean, for the last 15 years or so, uh, you, you, you just, ca- I can't give people the out when the truth is a click away. Uh, I, I just, I can't give people the out called propaganda when there's this unbelievable, uh, astoundingly inventive and engaging, instantaneous human library of rational thought and evidence that's out there. I, you know, you really have to work hard to avoid uh, any kind of uh, mention of um, the, the peace that's possible in the world. So I I just, I can't give people that out anymore. I'd love to in a way because it would, it would be nicer, but. You know, if you'd said in the past, you know, well, the way that, you know, imagine if everybody had access to the full freedom, uh, the full library of human freedom at the click of a button in everybody's household immediately. Or there was, you know, huge thousands of, of, of free podcasts and and audio books and, uh, and articles that, that people could get and download and listen to wirelessly anywhere in the house or put them in their car. And, you know, you'd say, well, wow, that's about as good as we could conceivably get as far as the, the propagation of freedom went. You can't get any better. I mean, we're supposed to telepathically beam the messages of freedom into people's head using some Vulcan mind melt. I mean, <laughs> that's not. This is as possible. This is as accessible well, and as have, possible as it's ever going to get.
0: They do have these uh, mono-directional speakers where you can point the beam at somebody. They can be up to a couple of two hundred meters away or something, and only they can hear it.
1: Is that right? I, I believe I've been called a talk. monodirectional <laughs> speaker at times. but
0: <laughs> Well, see, there's no limits to technology as far as I'm concerned, nor is there a limit to human potential. Because that's, that's ultimately what I feel defines our species, is that we're an ever-changing, uh, you know, multicellular organism that almost has uh, an elaborate history where, well, basically, we've done it all. There's nothing new under the sun. So... You know, the the future, I feel, is uh, is always a bright place to look because, hey, it's never as dark as it could be right now.
1: No, and certainly the, you know, the, the, the knowledge spread of um, human thought has occurred to such a degree that it can, you know, short of an asteroid taking out the whole planet, it can't ever be undone, so... Even if there's a step backwards, it's not going to be as far back as it ever was. Neither will it be as long as it was in the past. But, uh, but again, I, I, it really just comes down to the decisions that people make and the commitment that people make. If you have the knowledge, you have a responsibility. I mean, if you, if you get a medical degree and some guy's choking to death in a restaurant, you really kind of got to get up and give him a Heimlich. You know, you may not save him, but you should try uh, because once, once you gather knowledge, you have responsibility. And I know a lot of libertarians don't like that because they say, oh, you're making a social contract. I got to do this, right? Well, but you've gathered the knowledge, and if you know how to cure someone and that person is sick, then that's what you've decided to study. If you've decided to study to become a doctor, you damn well got to go and help the sick people. And if you've studied thought and you've studied freedom and economics and, and philosophy, you got to go. Uh, you know, there's really not much point, uh, you know, spending 20 years learning combat only to run away from a necessary and just war. And so I really, really urge people to, you know, take the fight to those around them. I mean, we've got to work hard. Uh, if we don't wake people up, uh, they will curse us in the long run. Uh, though They may curse us now for trying. They will curse us in the long run if we lose, because they will lose everything then.
0: Yeah, yeah. Waking people up is kind of... I, I approach it sort of like I did in my sales job, is when you're doing telesales, you'll just... Go on to the next person if this person really ain't willing to listen to you. Because otherwise you're just wasting your freaking time. You might use it as just a, um, you might want to humor them or something like that. Maybe you've got some time to waste and, you can, and you're not really uh, bothered about it. Because you know those kinds of people, don't you, Stefan? The ones who uh, obviously have got it all figured out and think they know everything. And anything that you're saying that they haven't heard before, oh, it's crazy, it's nuts, it's just absolutely ridiculous. You know, they call us conspiracy theorists. And I've got a definition for you. I think you might appreciate it. A conspiracy theorist is somebody who thinks that powerful and influential people use their power and influence to gain more power and influence because they want it. And (laughs) a... And a coincidence theorist is something is somebody who thinks that Everything happens by sheer coincidence. There's no backdoor meetings, there's no secret bills, there's no military research projects, there's nothing nothing, nothing. Right. Which of those two sounds more that... Which one of those two sounds like they should be committed for being completely <laughs> insane?
1: Right. Right.
0: And need a Thorzine well, drip
1: listen, I'm sorry. I've I've got another call uh, coming up, but uh, I really wanted to thank you for taking the time. I'm sorry we couldn't do this on the show, but you know, uh, it's um, it still gets out to to tens of thousands of people anyway, so I I really appreciate that. And uh, as always, it was a real pleasure and it's always fascinating to me to see sunlight um <laughs> over somebody's shoulder when I'm in the midst of these sticky and depths of cold winter.
0: It was actually the middle of the night. That's just my natural glow. <laughs>
1: That's beautiful. That's really quite a. Uh, I get that kind of shine, but uh, I have a, you have a little bit more hair in the way of your scalp than I do, so it doesn't quite work as well it for is. me.
0: Well, you've got the, you've got that shiny, clean bowling ball look going for you. It's
1: fantastic, Mister Clean here to help.
0: Yes, thank you so much, Stefan Molyneux. And can you plug your website before you go?
1: Oh yeah, it's uh, freedomainradio uh, .com.
0: FreeDomainRadio.com, 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 because of a propagandistic celebration, you've got to repeat oh, it Oh, yeah, three sorry, times. I just
1: wanted to mention, too, I've just finished an audiobook reading of um, uh, Jeffrey Tucker's the book, It's a Jetson's World, which you can get at FDRURL.com forward slash Jetson. I highly recommend it. He's, he's a great writer, and there's lots of great stuff on intellectual property for those who are interested in that topic.
0: All right, awesome. Thank you, Stefan. You have yourself a fabulous Christmas and a happy new
1: year. Merry Christmas to all your listeners as well. Thank you so much.